I'm Lean Printer, and this is The Motivated Classroom. Hello, bonjour, welcome, Falsha, to The Motivated Classroom podcast. It is episode 31 today. So thank you so much for joining me. And there's been an enormous response to last week's episode with Ollie from Transform MFL about the curriculum and how we can change things and how we can envision a new, more exciting, more motivational, more engaging way to teach and learn languages within our classrooms. So keep that conversation going, please, with the hashtag Motivated Classroom. Such great ideas flying around and there's so many people talking about envisaging a different and more exciting way to do the same things as before, to acquire and learn language, but to motivate more students to continue with their language learning journey, which is just so important if we want those lifelong learners of languages those students who will go out and use the language in the future, but that we're not just learning a language to use it, that we're learning it because it's a great thing to do. It opens our mind to all sorts of other people, other cultures, other ways of doing things, other belief systems. And that ties in very close to today, because today we are building upon the last episode and we're going to talk a lot about language teacher beliefs or what is commonly called in the research language teacher cognition. Now, of course, before we get into any detail on that, we must start with our Irish word for today. This is a beautiful Irish word that I love and I've always enjoyed listening to it ever since I heard this word. And maybe it's because it's a positive word. So the word is cogorgicus. Now, have a think. Any ideas? Is that ringing any bells? What might this mean? Cogorgicus. Yeah, you're right. You are right. It does mean congratulations. So yeah, that's a wonderful word in Irish, cogorgicus. And I won't even tell you how it's spelled. You'll just have to go and look up the programme notes to see the craziness of Irish spelling. So let's get straight into it then. In that last episode with Ollie from Transform MFL, we talked a lot about the curriculum constraints that are upon us as teachers, the pressures from above, the looming exam and the way we're taught to teach in a certain way that prepares students for the exams. And I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. Of course we should. Otherwise, we lose our jobs and we're not helping the students in the way we should be. I'm not saying that at all. However, this does tie really closely into the motivational research that we then lose a lot of our autonomy. And as we know, autonomy is absolutely crucial for motivation. So it is going to be a demotivator when we don't have autonomy. So a lot of what we do in our classrooms is, of course, mandated by these con- curriculum constraints and being told to teach in a certain way in order to have the students achieve. But a lot of what we actually do and choose to do within our classroom walls comes from our own deeply held language teacher beliefs. Now, these are really deeply rooted within us. These are beliefs that we have built up over decades that we don't even realise that we are building up. They come from things we've experienced through our lives. And also they come from what our parents have been telling us, what teachers have been telling us all through our lives. And we have this belief system. And a lot of what we do in our classroom actually comes down to this deeply held belief system. Now, this crucial role of teachers' beliefs about teaching in the language classroom has now led to this whole area of study, which is called language teacher cognition. And according to Barnard and Burns in 2012, essentially language teacher cognition is what second or foreign language teachers think, know and believe. Now, 
lots of other researchers are talking about this. It's very important at the moment. There's a lot of research going on in this area. And one person who's done a lot is Scott. And he says that the complexity of conceptual issues regarding beliefs, specifically relating to their inner qualities, makes it really difficult to study and to get to any real findings that tell us we are acting in a certain way because of these beliefs. Of course, it's difficult because they're really deeply rooted. Another researcher does a lot of work in this area is Simon Borg. And if you read around language teacher cognition, you'll surely come across his name. And what he is doing is he's encouraging researchers now to try and distinguish between beliefs and other similar constructs that we might use when we talk about views and perspectives. Now, we often use those words very interchangeably. Is that your view? Is that your belief? Is that your perspective? Is that your opinion? But beliefs, according to the research, are much more deeply rooted. And Scott, in his 2015 paper, he defines beliefs as individual, subjectively true, value-laden mental constructs that are relatively stable results of substantial social experiences. That is a long, difficult sentence. But essentially what he's saying is that we build up these beliefs over a huge amount of experience over time and without really knowing it. But they're value laden. They're closely related to our individual intrinsic value system in ourselves as humans. What we value and believe to be important, these are really closely linked to our belief systems. Now, why on earth is all this important? Because our belief system greatly impacts the way we teach. We may read around the research lots and lots and think about different ideas and people give us these different ways to do things. But our deeply held belief system actually plays an enormous role about the way we go about our classroom. And as I say, there's many researchers working on this. Simon Borg is one of those really famous researchers doing it, but also Hugo Santiago Sanchez, who is actually my supervisor in my doctorate, not for my thesis, but for one of the other papers I wrote about language teacher beliefs back in 2015, 2016. And we are trying to publish that together and get it created into an actual research paper. So that will be forthcoming, I promise. Just uh, I've got a few other things on my plate right now. <laughs> so one of the really important things now, of course, is that in the language teacher cognition field, it's widely accepted that teacher beliefs do pointedly shape classroom processes. Now, researchers like Fives and Buell, Williams and Burden, they all come to the same conclusion. And therefore, generally, they are regarded as an explanatory principle for our practice. And Scott talks quite a lot about this, essentially that our teacher beliefs explain a lot of what we do in our classroom. And these are beliefs that we don't even know we have. That's why it's really important to think about them. So in the research, teacher belief systems have been shown to impact heavily upon why a teacher takes certain decisions in the language classroom, as well as their general understanding of student outcomes and experiences. A lot of that is shaped by our beliefs. And I definitely find this in my school where I'm talking to colleagues about different ways of doing things and they see the benefits of these things. But a lot of the time, their deeply held beliefs about the way languages are learnt and acquired make them go, oh, that's that's really interesting, but I'm, I'm going to keep doing this other thing for now. And that is absolutely no fault of their own. And I am still there. I'm, I have deeply held beliefs about the way things are done, too, that I need to confront. I'm not absolutely not saying that, oh, I have managed to get rid of all my beliefs and do things completely new. Absolutely not. However, I think when I did learn about comprehensible input approaches to teaching, this was a way I had never heard of before, was never taught that way, didn't hear anything about it when I did my teacher training, really pretty much nothing. 
And then suddenly when I went to school and all the teachers were really into it and they were telling me about it and I got involved in the community, it made me question my deeply held beliefs about the way languages are acquired and learned. And it made me throw a lot of what I believed to be true completely on its head about the importance of grammar in a beginner's classroom, about the importance of worksheets and fill the gap exercises, about the importance of repetitions and saying things out loud and learning vocabulary lists and doing grammar exercises. All of these were deeply held beliefs of mine because that is the way I learned how to speak French and Spanish and German. I learned this way. So if it worked for me, then surely this is how it's done. And all the other teachers I work with, nearly all of them learned this way too. So this must be just the way it is. But really, if we think about these beliefs and reflect on them, we can come to a new awakening. That sounds really deep when we're talking about deeply held beliefs, but it can. It can really open your eyes to new things, but it's scary. And I understand that. Now, there are a few important caveats in here from the research. So the highly complex relationship between beliefs and our practice has actually been found to be neither linear nor unequivocal, that's a difficult word to say, unequivocal, as it is often dependent on so many other contextual factors. So Lee and Walsh talk about this in their research. And this also comes out in the motivation research. I talked in episode one about Zoltan Dornay's L2MSS. So that's the motivational self-system of second language motivation, essentially. And a lot of that, the reason I didn't go down the route of using the L2MSS was mainly because I felt that it didn't talk enough about the classroom practice and what happens within the L2 learning experience, the classroom experience, essentially. And that actually is coming out in this research of language teacher cognition. Many studies are actually consistently now encouraging that we pay more attention on contextual factors such as student characteristics, the school culture, assessment practices when we're talking about teacher beliefs. So that's quite important to think about too, that while teacher beliefs are really, really important, contextual factors play an enormous role. But we have to think about both of them if we want to really develop and change our practice for the better. So you're listening to this going, okay, Liam, I decided to listen to you today and now I'm not sure I made a good decision. Why are we talking about this now? Firstly, it ties very closely into so much of what Ollie from Transform MFL was saying in last week's episode about a new vision and a different way of doing things, a different way of teaching and learning languages that can be more motivating, more engaging and more interesting for our students and ourselves as teachers. So it ties very closely to this because we do have to question our deeply held beliefs. And if we don't question them and we don't reflect on them and we don't think about them, we just keep going through the same process and we just keep being that little hamster in the wheel and keep turning and thinking that everything is going to be great. Or one day we won't have people dropping languages and everyone will just decide they're more useful. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do languages just because I think I should. We need to change the way we do things if we want more people to take up languages and keep languages and keep studying them. And if we feel their importance, and I do, I said last week, for me, they are a vehicle of social justice. The more language and culture I understand, the more open I am to difference and other people and the way they live and the way they speak. And when I hear other languages, it doesn't scare me. I embrace them. All of these things are so important to me. So that's why I think we do have to think about these deeply held beliefs. So in that study I did in 2015 with um, Hugo Santiago Sanchez, who is, you know, he really does a lot of study around this language teacher cognition. 
when we looked at this together, I did a study with a Spanish teacher here in my school and we talked about student and teacher perceptions as opposed to beliefs about what makes a good class. And at the time, so we're going back five, six years ago, I definitely confused beliefs and perceptions. For me, when they were talking about things like the classroom should be fun, it should be non-threatening and we should be safe to make mistakes, the teacher should be friendly and open, use some humour. They're perceptions, really. Perceptions are more recent. They're reliant a lot more on things that happened recently and over the last few years of schooling, perhaps. But they're not the kind of things that are so deeply within us that we can't even recognise them. And it's only when you get really into interviewing teachers that like I did for my thesis, for example, and they start to talk really freely and openly about how languages are learned, why they teach in a certain way, that some of these beliefs start to come out. And really, I feel it's only when you've listened to hours and hours of these interviews back and you've transcribed them and you've coded them and you've listened to them over and over again that you start to think, wow, these are some really deeply held beliefs that this teacher has about how languages are learned and how we do things in our classroom. And I had Chloe on the podcast recently, who was the teacher I worked with for my thesis, who I tracked for a whole year and did loads of interviews with her, as well as all the students and lots of motivational questionnaires. So it was qualitative and quantitative together. And for Chloe, she's really into trying new things and she wants to change the way she does things. And she's really innovative. She's an absolutely fantastic teacher. And she really heard about comprehensible input teaching, wanted to try it out and has done it and has made it work. And her stories are brilliant. And she does movie talks and picture talks and all these brilliant things. And her students absolutely love it. But even after all that, she had some really deeply rooted beliefs that were still nagging away at her, telling her, oh, OK, you've done all that now. Now it's time to get to the real stuff. And she recognises this and it was really interesting conversation with her about it. And as I say, once again, this is absolutely no fault of Chloe's whatsoever, nor to anyone who is listening to this. Deeply held beliefs we build up over decades and decades and years of experiences and we don't even know that they're there. So for Chloe in the study, her deeply rooted belief about teaching and learning told her that despite all the advantages... TPRS, or Teaching Proficiency Through Reading and Storytelling, she still considered that's two weeks that I've wasted as it hampered her progress with the curriculum and the list of things she had to cover for them to be prepared for the exams. Now, they're her words from interviews. She felt that she had wasted the time because she had such a big list of things to cover. There are some deeply held beliefs. She said in the interviews, oh, I can see that they're really working. It's completely changed my relationship with them. Everything is better. They're learning so much. They're using the phrases. we got this better relationship. They're coming to class on time with smiles on their faces. But now I think I need to go back to the real stuff, the real grammar. And that's that's deeply held beliefs right there because there is a different way to do things and it doesn't have to be around the old traditional way of teaching grammar in a certain way, teaching by vocab list. There is different ways to do things, but it does really involve us questioning things that we take completely for granted. And the one phrase that she used that really stuck with me was, my question at the moment is, because the story was so great and so successful, doesn't mean I have to do another one now. And there are teacher beliefs. She's going, OK, this is a great thing. I loved the TPRS. The students loved it. It worked and they're really motivated now. They're engaged. They're using the language more. But do I have to do another one because it worked so well? Or can I go back to those other things that I think language teaching is about? Really interesting stuff. And we had such great discussions about it. 
And that was the thing, despite the overwhelmingly positive results from TPRS in the study over a whole year that we looked at, Chloe was reluctant to do another story with them because she felt she needed to go back to, in inverted commas, proper content. Her deeply rooted belief system built up over decades within schools as both a student and an educator were in direct conflict with this student-centred, autonomous, giving power to the students, personalised, co-creative approach of TPRS. Because you hear about it as an adult and you know it's working, but you have all these years of experience of learning languages yourself in school that you are in conflict with. And that is really challenging. Now, today we're talking mainly about language teacher beliefs and language teacher cognition. But the students had the same deeply held beliefs already at the age of 16 or 17. Like they were saying things like, you know, the class being fun is really important. But if you just play too many games, it, it doesn't feel right. And, you know, that doesn't feel right is because they have built up a belief system of what language learning is. And it should be really hard and it should be lots of grammar and it should be lots of long vocab lists and it should be lots of worksheets. That's how you learn languages and trying to turn that on its head. Now, I personally believe there is a strong place for games in a language classroom, particularly games that involve lots of spontaneous speech. So when you're playing card games or when you're doing other games together, which mean that you are using the language to communicate, I feel they're really important, but not just games, of course, the whole time. They have a place. And when I talk about games, I'm talking about games in that sense, where we're using the language to communicate a purpose and to get to the end of the game. But of course, there's a balance to be struck there. But you could tell that, you know, she just felt that games weren't part of a language classroom, not not in her belief system. And then another student, when asked about a typical language class, he would say that, you know, there's complex parts when you learn about applying the rules. And these beliefs became more pronounced at their stage of schooling because they were preparing for these big, scary exams. And one student said, even though I really enjoy the story thing and I learned a lot from it and things stuck in my head and it was really easy and I could use all these phrases, I still prefer the usual way that we learn because it's just a bit more professional. So, you know, you're learning with the story when you're 16 or 17. It was really interesting. They were so positive about it. But then when you kind of ask them about it in comparison to other lessons, they felt, well, yeah, you know, it works really well and I love it, but it's not really, you know, proper language learning. We've got to change that and go back. Now, there is a balance there. I'm not saying that it should all be singing and dancing all the time and, you know, all these games. There's a balance to be struck there. But what it does make us think is these deeply held beliefs are already there for our students when they're age 16 or 17. They've not even finished school yet. So trying to confront these is really, really difficult. And this comes to a phrase which we'll call unbecoming and unbecoming your beliefs. And this comes from a friend of mine, actually, Dr. Ed Stevens, who has done his doctorate on professional identity and who is actually my guest on the podcast next week. And this is all about changing things that we believe to be true. So even like right now, I'm reading the book Sapiens. And in that book, it kind of explains how we came to believe things that were just made up and concepts that we now believe to be true are just made up, like the concept of money. If, if loads of people just stopped believing in money, like, I mean, loads, like, you know, 80% of the population of the world, if they all of a sudden tomorrow just went, I don't know, this system doesn't work, I'm not going to use it anymore. Well, then that's gone. That belief system is gone. But it's been built up over so much time that it has turned into something that we believe to be true and we all hold it as true. And there's many things like this. But sometimes you have to question these belief systems and are they actually accurate and true? Now, Davis, in 2003, he argued that both student and teacher beliefs, 
should be continually exposed, challenged and defended in order to further improve teachers' classroom practices. And I love that. I think it's just so important to take a long, deep look at what we're doing and why and think about and reflect on is this a deeply held belief of mine just because I experienced it? Or is this what the research is telling me that is the right way to go? And in relation to self-determination theory, so Munoz and Ramirez in 2015, they did a rare mixed methods sequential study where they employed self-determination theory to investigate English teachers' conceptions of motivation and motivational strategies in foreign language learning. And these researchers concluded that in order for autonomy and competence to be nurtured, the classroom context must firstly be built upon meaningful student-teacher relationships. And the interesting thing here is their findings report that educators are most concerned with the relatedness aspect of self-determination theory. So that is, remember, those three basic needs for motivation or intrinsic motivation, autonomy, competence, relatedness. And they found that educators were mainly concerned with relatedness, even though the teachers appreciate the benefits of promoting autonomy and competence. They're like, yeah, I know that these are important. The classroom practices don't support those beliefs. So you're kind of going, yeah, I know that autonomy and competence are important, but I think relationships are more important, so I'm going to concentrate on that. Whereas actually, the research would show us on repeated occasion that if you concentrate more on autonomy, it's the one that's a level above, and it's the one that will bring out more of the other needs of relatedness and competence. But we are hardwired to believe that the relationships aspect is just more important. And there's many people listening to this right now who will be going, but it is. Relationships is the most important thing. It really is. It's the number one. I know that. I've heard it. I've read it. I've been there. I've experienced it. And you're, you, you may well be right in your classroom. Maybe it is. But the research would show us that actually the need of autonomy is the one that is a level above relatedness and competence. And if you concentrate on autonomy, then the relatedness, the relationships, the connections, they come naturally from that. But if we don't concentrate on autonomy, it gets left behind. So we do our, all of our concentration on relatedness and it works and we build up connections, but we've left autonomy to the side because our belief system doesn't have that there. Most of us learned languages in an environment that was not very autonomous. Most of us learned languages in classrooms that had very little autonomy. We followed a textbook, we did worksheets, we did role plays, we were given the language, we were told what language to use. We weren't allowed to kind of communicate and collaborate in ways that we now do in schools a lot more. Our belief system says relationships is number one because we never experienced autonomy. But we have to think and really reflect on these beliefs. Again, I'm not trying to say that your beliefs as you listen to this are not important. Of course they are, but we do need to reflect on them and why they are there. And thinking about this, we do need to completely rewire our belief system about language acquisition, in my opinion. There are so many of us that believe a way that languages must be taught and learned that according to the research is just not 100% true. Now, nothing is 100% true in social science. But what I'm trying to say is that there are different ways to do things. And if you've always been doing something the same way, think, should I just throw something out and try something new? Or is this one of my deeply held beliefs? Or is this something I've actually learned from research? So think carefully about it. And all of this is tied very closely to teacher identity and professional agency, our own teacher identity, who we are in our workplace, the way we act. 
And that is exactly what we're talking about next week, where I have a brilliant conversation with the wonderful Dr. Ed Stevens, who did his doctor with me in the University of Bath. But I'm a little bit bitter that he finished his doctor before me. So that is a great conversation next week. Please tune in for it. I'd love to hear your thoughts on teacher beliefs. So please do get in touch with the hashtag motivated classroom. Look for me on Twitter or Instagram or whatever. So we do, of course, need to finish our lesson with our lesson. (laughs) I've been doing too much teaching at the moment. We need to finish our podcast with a little bit of Irish and that lovely word for congratulations, which is Kogorgicus. So I really hope you'll join me next week and a huge thank you again to everyone for supporting the podcast, in particular those 20 patrons on my Patreon page. If you feel like you've got a spare three euros a month that you would buy me a drink to say thank you for these four episodes you get every month, then that would be wonderful. Go over to patreon.com, look for The Motivated Classroom. If you're not there and you don't want to do that or you don't have the money to do it, that's absolutely fine. No problem at all. Please keep listening for free. Please keep telling your friends. There's no pressure at all. Just keep listening. Thank you so much for joining me, everybody. That has been The Motivated Classroom. The Motivated Classroom podcast is an original production by Liam Printer. I'm at Liam Printer on Twitter and my YouTube channel is Liam Printer, The Motivated Classroom. Full podcast notes with links to resources are available on my website, liamprinter.com. For more, find and follow the Motivated Classroom podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Graphics and music are provided by Paul Mahan. Intro clips are thanks to the wonderful multilingual staff at the International School of Lausanne.